The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. I feel like in my career, there's so many times where a preconceived notion that I had that I really held strongly was torn apart by someone else that I trusted, yeah. and they were right to do so. And I, I really, I think that my path would be much different had I not had people who tore down walls that I had built for myself. Welcome to The Path. I'm Ryan Roslansky, the CEO of LinkedIn. And on this show, I sit down with the world's top leaders to talk about the decisions that shape their unique careers and how these valuable lessons can help you forge your own path. Today, I have a very special guest, Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Dan and I actually recorded this conversation as a pilot episode for The Path a year ago. This will be the last podcast episode of The Path Season 1. So what better way to wrap it up than to go back to where it all started? Dan was one of my most scrutinized and questioned hires during my 14 years at LinkedIn. Dan had been a business journalist writing for magazines like Forbes, Fortune, and Wired almost his entire career. He was never expecting to start a newsroom at a tech company. But today, Dan runs an editorial team with over 230 members across 16 countries, reaching over half a billion LinkedIn members every day. And he's been called the most powerful business journalist on the internet by Insider. Here's how Dan Roth paved his path. Maybe we can just start with, you know, those early days in Kentucky, uh, a young Dan Roth growing up. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I didn't know. I was from a family that was very focused on business. My dad and my grandfather, both accountants, dinner table conversations, especially Shabbat dinner, Friday nights, were all about real estate and taxes and small businesses. I have an older brother who was very focused on exactly what he wanted to do. It was very clear that he was going to go in this business path. And for me, I really had no idea. I used to tell people, according to my parents, that I wanted to be the Olympic flag. That is what, like, I, that was my early, uh, declaration of what I wanted to do. And then I thought I wanted to be a cartoonist. And then, um, when I was in high school, I got on the newspaper as a sophomore. And that is when I was like, uh, this is it. I have now found exactly what I want to do. And I also knew pretty quickly that I wanted to do something involved with journalism and business. Did you go to college with that idea of being a journalist in mind? Yeah. Went to a couple of journalism camps in the summer, one at Indiana University, one at Northwestern. What I discovered when I got there was that Northwestern was a great journalism school, but they were not a great business. There was no one who wanted to do business journalism. And so I spent a lot of my time trying to find my own path to learn as much as I could about economics and statistics and try to get internships to be able to cover business, to just get smarter on my own. Northwestern taught me the journalism part, but I tried to figure out other ways on my own to learn the business part. What happened when college was done? I went to the library. I got the addresses for every single business newspaper. I applied to every single one of them, and I just explained why they should hire me, and I was willing to move anywhere where I got a job. I got rejected from every single business paper in the country except for two. Raleigh made me an offer. And I think I was making, I don't know, $10,000 a year. It was not. It was definitely, <laughs> it was about as close as you can get to an internship and still be a job. That's awesome. You're at this local newspaper. Uh, was it what you imagined, um, you know, the intersection of journalism and business in Raleigh? 
No, I can't say it was. I really thought I was well prepared. I'd had internships. Yeah. I'd studied all these courses. I thought I knew what I was doing. And then I got, and I think this is probably common for a lot of people, is I got into work and on the very first day I realized that I knew nothing. Like nothing. Yeah. I mean, no idea what yeah. I was doing. And I was really lucky to have a editor uh, and a boss who was willing to invest time in me. I would turn in some stories. I'm like, oh, this is good enough. And he was like, this is not good enough. You got to redo this. So I, I have to say, like, I think the college was good, gave me the prep I needed to be able to land a job, but it did not teach me how to do the job at all. That all came on the job. What led to your kind of next move? What made that transition uh, out of Raleigh? So I, lo I love the profession. I hated Raleigh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wasn't covering the kind of companies that I was interested in. I wasn't. It felt like there was more out there to be talking about. It felt very small to me. One of the great things about journalism is you have proof of what you do. And so you have these, what we call clips, and you start collecting clips. And you have things that you can send to an employer that says, like, here is exactly what I do. It is like, you know, you don't have to, you have your resume, you have your profile, but what you really have is a collection of your finished work. And so I started just sending it to everyone. I got job offers from AdAge and from Forbes at their very lowest level. And I remember AdAge was going to, they were like, we can put you in our Chicago office and you'll cover advertising. And I got a job offer from Forbes to be a reporter, which is like a fact checker. And I remember calling my parents and being like, all right, I got this. I'm out of here. I'm, I got these potential uh, new jobs. And uh, I'm going to go to Chicago and work for AdAge. And I remember my dad was like, you're going to work at a at a, like a, a side office. For, it's not even the main office at AdAge. And you're going to cover advertising. <laughs> my parents were like, go to Forbes, get the experience, then figure out what you want to do. It was great advice. That really then started me on an entirely new path. And uh, one that I had never... It wasn't what I had expected. I didn't think magazine, I never like wanted to do magazines. It was just kind of business daily journalism was, was what I wanted. And Forbes, all of these places changed my path. Forbes changed my path into thinking about longer form stories, getting much deeper with people. It wasn't about the daily deadlines. It was finding answers in like much, much bigger stories. Do you think that if you hadn't have had that conversation, you would have gone to AdAge? Was that the turning point? Absolutely. My parents were pretty, in those early days, they kind of told me what they thought. As I got through my career, yeah. they started just asking questions and they were able to be less guides and more kind of sounding boards. But at that point, there's no question I would have gone. Had I not had them, I would have gone to Chicago. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I think that the role that, you know, kind of the people around you play in career paths and your decisions are something that people don't obviously talk a lot about. Ironically, um, you know, my parents uh, strongly encouraged me to uh, stay in school when I was a college freshman. And I said, no, thanks. I'm dropping out. But uh, at least <laughs> this idea of people around you being able to act as a sounding board, I think, is really important. But so. then when you decided to leave, they were supportive, weren't they? Look at you flipping this to interview <laughs> me back. Don't even try it. <laughs> This is this is about you. Okay, so um, so now we're now we're in the big city. We're in New York. We're working at Forbes. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the big stage. This is kind of when you know you you feel like you made it at this point, or what were you thinking? It did feel like the big leagues, but internally, I felt total imposter syndrome, and I didn't know what I was doing. Ooh. And I got very lucky to have a mentor and an editor who took a real interest in me. And even though she probably shouldn't have, I wasn't like producing great work at the time, but she saw something that even that I didn't see in myself. And she started pushing me to do things like 
I mean, it was kind of everything. I was turning in stories that weren't great, and she was like, sit down next to me. We're going to go through these line by line, and I'm going to teach you how to write. And I knew wow. how to, my last job, I learned how to report. She taught me how to write. And then I started really feeling like I, I understood what I was, what I should be doing. And I loved it. I loved that process of reporting and of turning something into something bigger. And then when she left Forbes to go to Fortune, she brought me with her. And that then just like kind of changed my path again. You think that was really heavily influenced by this mentor you had. Absolutely. Do you think you would have made that move without her? I know that I wouldn't have. I was really, and I don't know whether this still happens. It probably does, but I was really influenced by this idea that fortune was garbage. Everyone at Forbes hated fortune. Mm. And there was this real rivalry, and I bought into it. I was like absolutely yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And she went there, and she was like, this is a better place. You're going to be a better reporter if you come here. And I trusted her, and I made the move. And it was one of those things, like, I feel like in my career, there's so many times where a preconceived notion that I had that I really held strongly was torn apart by someone else that I trusted, and they were right to do so. And I am really, I think that my path would be much different had I not had people who tore down walls that I had built for myself. So let me catch you up on a few years of Dan's path. At Fortune, he was writing business cover stories, interviewing powerhouses like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Then he moved on to Condé Nast. He wrote some more, jumped over to Wired, and wrote even more. Simply put, he was nailing it as a business journalist. But then, the 2009 financial crisis caught up to the journalism world, and he was laid off. I had this ringing in the back of my head that print was dying and that I had to get out. My editor at Wired, quit and went to go run the Atlantic.com. And we were like, well, how is that possible? This, like, you are, this is like, you have one of the best jobs in journalism. And he said something to me that again changed my career, where he was like, look, we all know that digital's a future. We know that, that the dot-com site is going to be journalism. And he said, at some point, the door is going to close. They're not going to want print people on the digital side wow. anymore because they're going to be people who just grew up on the digital side. And I'm leaving before that door closes. Dan, who was that? His name is Bob Cohn. So he's the president of okay. The Economist now. And that was such a wake-up call for me. At yeah. the time, I was only reading things online. Like, I knew better. Totally. But in my, but I was such a snob about Didn't print. Didn't feel like, like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I couldn't, I couldn't see it until he went. And I was like, of course. And I applied. At the time, Fortune shut down their website during the, the financial crisis. And uh, I heard from someone that they were actually, they wanted to start it back up again. So I wrote like an eight page memo. It was actually on the on a plane on the way to do a reporting assignment. And I stayed up all night and I wrote an eight page memo of how I would rebuild fortune.com. Wow. Send it over to fortune. The editor there read it and liked it and hired me to go build fortune.com. And that was a change. That was, you talk about like another career change. That yeah. was like, suddenly I was out of print. I was into digital. I had to learn everything from scratch. I just, I've, I've known you for uh, over a decade, and I actually didn't know that fact about you getting laid off at Wired. Yeah. Um, and hearing you tell the story about what's going on in the macro, print is dead. Um, you know, it's something that you embody that you love. You're getting laid off. This idea to write this eight-page memo about what Fortune.com should be. What drove you to do that? Because it ends up looking like it was a, a really critical genius part of your path or, you know, but, but also a move that many people wouldn't think of. Like what, what drew you to do that? 
you know, I love journalism. I loved what I was doing. I wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. And I spent enough time on covering tech and spending all my time reading sites and being on sites. I'm like, I kind of knew what, I had a feeling that I knew what needed to be done at Fortune. Yeah. And, and I knew Fortune well. And this felt like a must win. To me, this was like, this memo has to work. Unlike in other parts of my career where I had like many different options, this was it. Yeah. It was either this or going or leave journalism altogether and go into PR or do yeah. something else. And I wasn't yeah, about to got do that. It. So I had to make it work. What a smart uh, and risky move that obviously paid off. So you're building fortune.com. This is when I um, became aware of you. I think that LinkedIn and fortune, we had some stuff we were working on together. Um, and then at a certain point, um, you know, I think you get the call probably from our, our old CEO, Jeff Wiener. Hey, you want to come over to LinkedIn? Yeah. Were you just like, what are you talking about? Or what <laughs> what's going through your mind yeah, with that? Yeah, absolutely. I built an app at Fortune called the Fortune 500 Plus. It was supposed to be, it, it wasn't great, but it was supposed to be this app where for salespeople combined Fortune data and LinkedIn data. And I met Jeff during the process. And, um, and then like a couple of weeks later, he called me up and said, you know, we want to move into content. Why don't you come join us? And I remember thinking like, this is, that's like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, LinkedIn is like a resume site or, you know, it's like, it's got this like Twitter feed on it. And, and here I am like writing, you know, this is like fortune is a place where all these articles happen. And, and, and then the more I thought, I went home and told my wife and we were talking about it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, and, and in the process of running fortune.com, I realized we were a tech company. We were trying to be a tech company. What I thought about what Jeff was saying was like, there were a couple of things that really worked for me. One is, I would learn how a tech company ran. I had to learn that. To have longevity in my career, I had to understand tech. Two was, even though I was now on the dot-com side of journalism, everyone was still getting laid off. And I realized I had to change my network. Everyone I knew was getting laid off. We were all getting laid off together, which meant you pick up the phone and you call someone and you're like, I'm laid off. Do you have a job for me? And they're like, no, I'm laid off too. That's a bad position to be in. So I was like, I'm going to get a new network and meet all these new people. And that's going to be really helpful. And then the third was that I realized that at Fortune, we were fighting to get eyeballs all the time. Like I would, we had deals with, with Yahoo and with others to try to get their eyeballs to come to Fortune, but it was a constant battle. And I realized that what LinkedIn had, professionals are going there every day. And I thought that there was a better chance, LinkedIn had a better chance of building a media company on top of it than Time Inc. had for building a tech company uh, out of a media company. I was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna commit to two years, I'm gonna learn how this works, and then I'm back to media. Back to media. So uh, the funny thing about this moment in time is uh, that's when we we met each other. Yeah. And I don't think either of us knew what the other one was going through at the time. But I had everyone on the tech side being like, what are you talking about? Hiring an editor. That's not how the world works. You have everyone on your side being like, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For what reason are you joining this like social media company? That's not how the world works. But you know, you fast forward through the years and you think about some of the things that you've built, uh, the teams that you've built, um, you know, this this vision that you had to bring content to the masses through a professional network um, has paid off and what's been some of those valuable, you know, ideas and breakthroughs that have come uh, for the company. I don't know, you know, if if there's anything that you feel like you've learned uh, along the way at LinkedIn, but at least for me, the interesting part of it is that even nearly after a decade, it feels like 
what you're doing here is still just getting started. Yeah. Um, and it's still on fire and it's growing, um, I think, beyond anyone's dream uh, at the time. I remember the first day on the job, our former head of design, Steve Johnson, handed me an infographic and said, can you just make sure this looks good? All the text is good here. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not... I'm not a cop. That's a copy editor's job. I'm the editor in chief. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I realized that I had to prove myself. Like I wasn't. Yeah. I had Again. I had been every I had been on a path. Yeah. I was now yeah. off the path. This was an entirely new. I was like, I was in a new world at this point. Yeah. For my for my kind of profession, and it was a humbling and um, a difficult experience at the beginning. And I think that if if you hadn't been there to coach me along and protect me. And it's good to hear that like there were people that were like, why are we hiring an editor? <laughs> you know, I think you, you kept that, you kept a lot of that from me, but it was, it was hard. I mean, it was like, it, I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, yeah, and looking back over this path or this career, uh, knowing what you know now, is there anything different you would do if you could go back? I don't think so. I honestly, like everything was a learning experience. I interviewed Brene Brown. She talked about this idea of nothing wasted. Yeah. That everything like builds on something else. And I thought that was such a powerful idea that like, I don't think I would go back. Even like, mm. even getting fired, which the reason why you didn't know about me getting fired is I was embarrassed about it. Like I was really horrified. I used to not tell people about it. Yeah. But that was a wake up call. It was all learning. Everything, every one of these things were learning experiences. So I don't think so. Would you? I mean, uh, I definitely wouldn't change anything. And, you know, everyone has a different path, but... I really subscribe to that same idea that everything's a learning experience. And you know, one of the things that I love a lot about your story and your path is just this idea that along the way, um, there were a lot of things that were both in your control and you had the support system, kind of the family around you to help you with those decisions. And, you know, I can recall many times in my career where, you know, there's there's many different opportunities you can take. There's many different directions that you can go. And I think it's important often for people to realize um, that they have to have confidence and, you know, conviction in themselves and what they want to do, but also to have a group of people around you, you know, your spouse, your parents, your friends, where you can also kind of ask them for their thoughts as well. People who really know and trust you well, that can give you honest, candid advice about what they see of the situation uh, as well. And I think... The similarity we both have in a, in a lot of our stories, and I think it's a really important part of it. Absolutely. Like every guest I've had on the show so far, Dan has always walked the line between trusting his own vision and judgment and listening to advice from others. It's a balance that's hard to find, but at the end of the day, that's what makes your path your own. After the break, Dan turns the tables to ask me about decision-making and the key career takeaways from this season of The Path. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, 
and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dan. How are you? I am great. I'm happy to be back on the path. And this is going to be a little bit different because we're turning things around and now you're the expert and I get to ask you questions. Wonderful. Awesome. So I've listened to all and watched all of the paths, and there is one question. I like to listen to your the way that you ask these questions. So I'm going to bring out one of your favorite questions. I'm going to take you way, way back. Way back. <laughs> <laughs> when you were first thinking of starting the path, what did you imagine this would turn into? What were you hoping to get out of it? And what have you found so far? Well, as you know, I had done a post on LinkedIn where I had shared two lines, a straight line. And it said, this is the way that people uh, up and to the right, this is the way most people believe that career paths happen. And then a squiggly line that said, this is the way that most of them actually happen. And the way that that post resonated with the LinkedIn member base was unlike anything that I've ever seen before. When you wrote that post, did you have any idea that you were saying something that would light a fire like that or catch people by surprise? Well, for 15 years now, one of the most requested features on LinkedIn was for us to use our LinkedIn data to create a tool that would show people what career paths look like. If I want to be a CFO, what steps do I take along the way? If I want to be a journalist, what college should I go to? How does that work? And you look at the data. We've tried to build this tool for 15 years now, and it turns out the data tells us nothing because there truly is no linear career path in many of these cases. So it's just a mindset, and I think it's especially a mindset uh, of the younger generation that there's just a preordained way this all works. And looking at the data that we have across LinkedIn, I knew early on that's not the case. And um, so I had an inkling of the idea that this would resonate with people, but really putting it out there and showcasing and telling these stories, I think it's helped a lot of people understand that first and foremost, you have to put your career in your own hands. Yeah. No one is doing this for you. You know, it's so interesting because the path is really the worst possible name for this podcast because there is no path. I mean, it is just, we should have just called it like a series of dots or something. It's <laughs> wild. Uh, and I, don't, I think it is. I mean, we all want answers on how to get ahead. And if you watch the interviews, if you listen to the interviews, it's clear that it's like there are so many different ways that people, it's so much about internal motivation. Yeah. It's about facing down problems that, seem insurmountable. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And I think that listening to some of the path episodes, what also jumped out at me was the people behind the people. Oh, yeah. And if you listen to Jeffrey Katzenberg, when he talked about um, Barry Diller's role in his life, yeah. and Katzenberg is like, I'm just going to do more stuff all the time. And he's doing things, but he's got this person behind the scenes who is dropping him into different divisions. And 
what I love was Jeffrey talks about that he is, he's getting mad. Like he yeah. hates having to start over every time. And it's like, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And someone else is kind of like pushing him or guiding him. Uh, same as when he, after he got fired and he got a call from Spielberg and- Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Zemeckis. And, <laughs> um, and they were like, come and join us. And the the kind of, in, in that case, these are all big names, but every other person you interviewed has someone else in their life who has done something to help them take the first step onto one of those paths. And it's these kind of people behind the people, I think, is another uh, another great lesson from this is you have to be surrounded by a network of people that who can help you and who want to help you. So ironically, it's funny you bring him up. So Barry Diller appears um, in two episodes of ours, one with Jeffrey Katzenberg, obviously, then another um, with Dara Khosrowshahi, who, by the way, it's a very similar story. And I, I never pieced this together uh, until I met with them. But uh, Barry was also moving Dara around in various places. And I think he had this idea of how he was going to build and train these leaders. To me, like a formula is starting to emerge here. Mm which is insanely hard work. We're going to call it the formula. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is the, 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 you're, everyone's hearing a new name change to this podcast. <laughs> the uh, I think maybe like, because you're right, there's no one career path. So this is a formula, let's say, is being driven, doing as much work as possible, and making sure people notice that you're doing it. You want to have everyone that you've talked to made a name for themselves. They made a name for themselves through their hard work, not yeah. through posting or just speaking loudly in meetings. They were like, they worked their butts off. And someone else noticed that. Yeah. And they got opportunities because of that. So this driven, work hard, get noticed is, at least for the people you're interviewing, that's been a, a really successful formula. Well, it's it's very it's very common. These are some of the most um, successful people on the planet right now. Um, so that desire to work hard obviously came through. Um, someone that you and I know well, you know, Don Arender, who ran the WNBA for a while as well, was on the, the PGA Tour on the media side. I, I just remember, and I can still see her face saying it. It's just like, you got to want to do the work. Yeah. Great quote. Like, that's it. You got to want to do the work if you want to get ahead. And you got to be passionate about it. You have to have the skill. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't just fall in your lap. You got to want to make it happen. You got to put in the hours. And I mean, I think I think I saw that across everyone that, that we spoke to by far. So Yeah. So maybe it's like, just work hard and the path will find you. I think that's part of it. I think luck plays, luck plays <laughs> a big, big part role. of it as well. But sure. You got to want to work though, Dan, just yeah. like Donna taught. <laughs> um, one of the things that you and I had talked about in the, in the, in the pilot was the role of mentors. And there was a great post uh, on LinkedIn recently by Alex Paul, who was the, who's one of the Founders, chain smokers, yeah, 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 one of the the chain smokers, and he talked about this. Um, he was on the American Idol finale, and it was, should have been the biggest, one of the biggest stages of his life, and it ended up being a disaster for the chain smokers. He got up there, and he was told by mm -hmm. the American Idol people, "Do something crazy." They came up with this crazy idea where he would go into the crowd and snap selfies. It ended up ruining yeah. the chain smokers' image, apparently, and he really regrets having done it, but he took this advice. And I wonder, like, how do you think about this question of how do you know when you should, when you, if you have mentors or someone like Mark Cuban calls you up and says, come and join the, uh, you know, the Mavericks, someone taps you, Barry Diller says, we're going to put you in here. Like, at what point, this is kind of what I struggle with is like, how do you know, how should people think about when to trust a mentor and when to trust their gut? From my perspective, um, 
and again, I actually learned this a lot from you, it's, it's be able to balance a lot of different people's opinions. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to have your own conviction deep down and make the decision for yourself. You have to know what's right. You have to care about what's right, to be passionate about what's right. And if you're going to put yourself out there and decide to, you know, dive into the crowd, it should be because you want to dive into the crowd and right. not because someone else is telling you to do it. Actually, I see leaders do it all the time. And, you know, these days leaders need to go out and um, communicate on what's happening in the broader macro environment or um, communicate to their company on difficult situations. You can really tell when someone has been handed something to read versus when they are authentic about who they are. And um, the key, especially to communicate in this day and age, is you have to authentically know who you are and have conviction in what you say. Uh, it is it is much worse to lack conviction and say the right words that someone wrote for you than to just speak from your heart, even if those words come out in a you know non-perfect way. People want authenticity in leaders right now. They want courage and conviction. And I think that plays a large part in this too, which is that, hey, take all the input, take what everyone's saying, uh, you know, be aware of the situation around you, but you got to come from your own heart when you make a decision or communicate or anything these days. So I know you made, you know, a pivot. You obviously talked to a lot of people when you decided to join LinkedIn or how did you think about it? Uh, I had a lot of people telling me not to. Yeah. And I had very, I came very close to saying no. I had to think about why I was saying no. And it was really my ego. And it was like, I'm in this, I'm in a great position. I'm the yeah. editor of fortune.com. I'm the top of my game. I've done these cover stories. This is like, this is, I've established myself. And this means becoming a beginner. Yeah. And that was terrifying. And I had to realize why I was saying no. I was like, look, once I leave journalism, I can never get back in. And Jeff was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> and it just that one question, I was like, I'm not sure about it. This yeah. is, I've clear, I have built this up in my mind as yeah. being true, but I don't think it is true. So that helped break down the walls. But in the end, what really helped me was just saying, what's the risk? What's the worst that can happen? So I, I think that that's, um, I think it's really helpful and it's a good framing. I will say though, an, another framing that I learned a lot from talking to all these people is that when you face a decision like that, I think it's really smart to know the downside. But a lot of times you talk to these folks and they have so much conviction that the upside is going to happen or they're going to manifest the upside that it, it actually de-risks the situation huh. at all. So- you know, when you joined LinkedIn, we had no content efforts. We were just getting going. And um, I think at a certain point, you and I looked at each other and said, hey, we're going to make this work. We have all the assets to make this extremely valuable to professionals globally. And I think that when you started, you were one of one of the editorial team at LinkedIn. And now you are leading a team of over 200 people <laughs> globally um, that has turned into you know, probably one of the largest, you know, business publishers online. And um, that's because you had the conviction to manifest it and make it happen as well. So it's also important to trust in yourself and think about the upsides. So. For sure. You have now been through a season of the path. Is there anything that you take with you now when people come to you for career advice? Any change in how you give career advice? I mean, historically, I've asked people to really narrow down to the, the top two things they care about in their career. And then just chart those on a two by two and, you know, plot your current opportunity versus a future opportunity. And if, you know, one of those is not in the top right quadrant, then you know which one is the right choice uh, for you. I've historically done that. And I think that it's really helped people at least narrow down their decision making. What I've learned a lot about from talking to folks in the path too is an evolution that people can be most successful when they operate at the intersection of passion and skills. You can't just be passionate about something because that alone, if you're not skilled in it, is not going to help you succeed. 
you can't just be really talented at something that you don't love because you're going to end up uh, not being happy on a day-to-day basis with what you're doing. But if you can seamlessly find a way to work at the intersection of your passion uh, and your skills, I think that's the right place to be. And you know, I think more and more from the stories that I talk to these folks, as well as when I talk to people these days, that, that that's a lot of the advice that I like to give. Ryan, it's been phenomenal listening to you turn the tables on people. Uh, we got season two coming up. I can't wait. We've got a lot of uh, exciting people. I just uh, spoke to Izzy Sharp, who's the founder of Four Seasons Hotels. Just a remarkable, remarkable uh, career path. Um, I know we're talking to a lot of other people as well, so can't wait to get that out there. Ryan, thanks for having me on The Path. Dan, thank you as well. The Path video series will be back on LinkedIn starting in 2024. I'll be talking with people like Four Seasons founder Izzy Sharp, former BT CEO Deborah Lee, and the NFL's Kelvin Beecham. Don't miss it. Subscribe to The Path newsletter at linkedin.com slash the path. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the new year. The Path is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Ava Ahanbegi, Stephen Valdivia, and Rachel Wong. Asaf Gidron mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop, and Dan Roth is our editor-in-chief. Thanks to Tatiana Delmida, Caroline Gaffney, and Valerie Barrett.